In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> it's so great to be here. It's good, so good to see you all. Karl Barth, the renowned 20th century Swiss-German neo-Orthodox theologian, it's a lot, take it in, <laughs> is known for many works, but most notably, he is known for his masterwork, Church Dogmatics. This 12-book work is divided into four volumes. In English, Church Dogmatics makes up more than 12,000 pages. And according to two sources I could find, this massive work contains as many as six million words. Don't worry, we're not going to read the whole thing today. Thorough and not shy, Bart was a man, a few, not a man of few words. On April 23rd in 1962, Bart was speaking at Rockefeller Chapel on the campus of the University of Chicago. As the story goes, when students were invited to ask questions, there was a hand raised followed by this question. The student asked if Bart could summarize his theology in a single sentence. The story goes that, that Bart stopped and he looked at the guy and he, he started pacing. And he paced for several minutes, thinking, thinking, thinking. He was going to answer the young man's question and so he stopped and he looked up at him and responded saying this. In the song, in the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The essential truth of what Karl Barth said meets each of the five figures that we heard about in this morning's gospel. These two passages from the ninth chapter of Matthew's gospel um, bring us a tax collector, a leader of the synagogue, a woman who has suffered for 12 long years, a dead girl, and a Pharisee, brings them directly in contact with Jesus himself. And a lot of attention is paid to this tax collector as it is written, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors were traitors. They chose to work for the empire in order to make a living off of their neighbors. They exploited and extorted the people in their community. Tax collectors were not liked by anyone. The essential way to understand them is to think of someone who puts themselves first at the expense of others. But before we judge them, I think it wouldn't be too hard to think of ways 
that most of the jobs that exist in our society have some form of this relationship to neighbor. In fact, our personal life could qualify as well. In the moments that I find myself judging our modern-day tax collectors, one of my favorite things to do is to remind myself that I have an iPhone. For the record, I don't have my phone with me in church. This is a great example because it is so ubiquitous. Smartphones are so common that we can forget that we even have them with us. We can forget what a negative impact they have on our social lives sometimes. It's easy to forget the negative impact they have on our environment, and certainly those who are out of sight who suffer through their production are at least easily forgotten. The tax collector is someone who is doing what he thinks he needs to do to get by, maybe have the things he wants, which is not a foreign experience to most of us. And I don't mean this as judgment. And I don't mean it as permission either. It is simply a part of being a person in this world. It is simply part of being a person. And what do we learn from this morning's gospel? This, this is who Jesus calls to follow him. Jesus chooses the tax collectors chooses the sinners. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We turn our attention now to the leader of the synagogue. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus, Jesus got up and followed him and his disciples. This leader of the synagogue was, was at a loss. It was not a good look for him to approach Jesus, but for him to humble himself and kneel down before Jesus, he had to have had nowhere else to turn. There is suffering when we lose any loved ones. But this man's loss is unfathomable. His daughter. Jesus was his last hope as he faced this great loss. This was the man's last ditch effort. The leader of the synagogue kneels down before Jesus and begs, please come save my daughter. For any of us who have encountered the loss of loved ones, you know that there are moments that feel helpless. There are moments when you realize there is no way to turn back to how things used to be. This man gave up his standing and reputation for the simple hope that Jesus could save him and his daughter. And Jesus doesn't quiz him, doesn't challenge him, doesn't make him do anything. Jesus just got up and went with him. In this moment, there's a sense in the gospel, in this reading, that, that this Jesus could not have helped himself at the chance to relieve suffering and provide deliverance. There's no hesitation, hesitation in Jesus' reaction. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Then suddenly, a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. A woman in her own hopeless situation, who had been suffering for 12 years, believed that if she simply touched Jesus' cloak, simply touched his cloak, that she would be made well. that she would be brought back to life, that she would be brought back into community because to be sick in the way that she was meant that she was always on the outside looking in. She wasn't allowed to participate in the temple. She was not allowed to participate in the community. To be in contact with someone who is sick or someone who is dead would make someone unable to participate and so nobody would probably go near her. Twelve years is so long, so long to be on the outside looking in, so long to be suffering, so long to be sick. It's as long as my son has been alive. That is a long time. This is someone for whom suffering would appear to have no end and who would have great difficulty finding a community or a support system And her faith makes her well. The dichotomy here is astounding. And now, just a side note about what faith means here, because I think we can use the word faith. We can say, have faith, you know, grow your faith. Uh, And and it can become this sort of, what do I do to become more faithful, to grow my faith? Faith as believing more or trying more or trusting more or any other kind of more. But this is not what faith actually is. This is not the way that the gospel presents faith. Um, Instead, I want to offer that faith is a receiving. Faith is a receiving of the truth that God's grace is a gift and that God's love is for us and that the only thing that can save us is the love of God. Hearing that and receiving that good news is the heart of faith. And that is why this woman's faith made her well, because she had nowhere else to turn, and she knew that if she could just touch his cloak, she would be made well. Faith for the tax collector is freedom, freedom to leave the old ways of sin and death and follow the source of life. Faith for the leader of the synagogue is being able to be in a place of knowing that there is nowhere else to turn. This This woman knows that just trying to be in contact with Jesus is her only hope. Take heart, daughter. And instantly the woman was made well. Jesus loves me, this I know. 
Bible tells me so. Exactly. Thank you. We're getting to know each other, so it's, there's not a lot of give and take here, so uh, thank you. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. What more is there to say than the priceless value of our hope that is tied to the cross of Jesus Christ? For this girl and for us, there is no other place for us to turn when we face the reality of death. And this is the most poignant part of what Karl Barth was declaring in that lecture hall those many years ago. Millions of words, hundreds of pages, volumes of theological discourse, all of it boils down to this one promise, that Jesus loves us, and the scripture we hear this morning promises us this truth. Jesus refuses to be apart from any need. He refuses to be apart from us when we go through difficulties. He refuses to let us be in moments of fear and need alone. And he refuses to allow death to have the last word. This is the essential truth that meets every single one of us exactly where, our, where we are at all times. Which brings me to the tragedy of the Pharisee. This was a person in the position of leading people into the promise of God's favor through the demands of God's law. He had his marching orders, and he was going to stand by them. And he felt righteous in doing so. And he was clearly good at it. He felt called to it. But his righteousness was self-righteousness. The tragedy for him is not seeing the love of God as a love that meets us in our need. With every character, the tax collector, the leader of the synagogue, the woman who has been sick for so long, and the dead girl, Jesus doesn't hesitate, and each experience the freedom, peace, and relief of Jesus' care and love. I yearn for the Pharisee to hear that good news. Knowing we need God's grace and love is foundational to growing faith. Faith is a gift that comes from realizing that our deliverance, our salvation, comes not from within, but from without. And I am absolutely certain that Jesus loved the Pharisee. The tragedy is that the Pharisee wasn't able to receive the peace and relief that Jesus so desired to give every person he encountered. I was reading the weekly or the daily newsletter emails that St. B's sends out every day. I was reading them this week for the first week, and I came across another way of putting this in James Judge's uh, daily devotion. I believe it was on Thursday. He wrote this: "When we stop to give thanks, we acknowledge that all is gift; that I am simply a glad recipient in this world." And we agree with the Apostle John when he wrote, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. 
wonderful words. I can't wait to meet James. You may be here. I, it's a sea of faces that I know a few of. So, um, Friends, it is God's greatest desire and promise to meet us where we are and to re- suffer and to relieve any who suffer, to provide hope for all who fear, freedom to you who feel responsible for your life, and life for all who die. Friends, Jesus loves us, and this we know. For the Bible tells us so. Amen.